Welcome to What to Watch on Netflix. I'm your host, Jed Shepard. Thank you for joining me once again, or for the first time, um, if you haven't partaken yet. Uh, Today, I am joined by a lady, and that lady is called Daniela Phillips. Hello. Hi, Daniela. Daniela is my co-host on another podcast called Smegheads. The Red Dwarf Podcast. The Red Dwarf Podcast. Thanks very much (laughs) for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be a guest, put my feet up. Exactly. Uh, some people would would consider you a guest on Smickhead as well. Oh, I talk too much. burn! Because burn. I talk too much. That that was on me. Um, yes, yeah, reflection on you, not me. <laughs> exactly. Um, and thing you must remember, if you haven't encountered Daniela before, oh is, dear. it's Daniela with one L. Yes, very important. Um, Daniela heads out there, which uh, which is what Daniela found to call Daniela. Ah, heads. This, is there an official name? I guess so. I guess Amazing. you have your own subreddit. Um, you have to uh, use the 1L. If you use 2Ls, you're in the bad books. So the premise of this podcast, Daniel, just to explain it to yourself yep. and for me to say it out loud. Please do. Um, is, is basically what to watch on Netflix. Because um, there's so much. There's so much. And when I say Netflix, think of any streaming service. It's not just um, tied to Netflix. Because there are okay. people sometimes don't like Netflix. They like Hulu or they like Amazon Prime or they like multiple other streamer services I have all of the above but it just so happens that the three I've chosen today are all on Netflix great so that's the premise so we um, pick three choices each uh, three recommendations that we feel are maybe mm. slightly underappreciated yep. and should get a little bit more uh, highlighted uh, out there in, in podcast world um, and we take it in turns and as always I will start my first choice my first watch is the 1984 classic Night of the Comet. Now, a lot of people out there will think, Jed, you always go on about Night of the Comet. You didn't need to create a whole new podcast to talk about your favourite film. I'm one of them. Yeah. And and people who know me will know that for the last 20 years, I've been going on about this particular film. Night of the Comet is a 1984 film uh, directed by Tom Eberhardt. And I, once, I first saw it when I was uh, a lot younger and I was up late one night and maybe past my bedtime and I was on Channel 4, because Channel 4 is where all the cool stuff happens. All the adult stuff happens when you're a kid. Adult, yes. Yeah. All the Late kind of night s- Channel 4. Yeah, but I'm, t- I'm talking about like 10pm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and stuff that you're not meant to see. Maybe it's like a kind of a saucy show or some frank talk about something. Um, but this, just this particular time, something was on that blew my little mind. And that was the film Night of the Comet. Now, the premise of Night of the Comet is two high school girls real valley girls this is set in la um who survive a apocalyptic event um and it's how they deal with um the the repercussions of that being two of the only people alive and these two are sisters um uh, catherine mary played by catherine mary stewart and kelly maroney one blonde one brunette because you need to have both to cover both demographics daniela um and they from from the outset you'd think I'm a guy, I don't necessarily identify with two valley girls speaking in their valley <laughs> girl talk, but I am not joking. These my two heroes, these two girls, I love them. I Everything I know about these about women, I've learned from these two ladies. <laughs> okay. uh, wise-cracking, uh, beautiful, arcade-playing babes with These guns. are your ideal women, basically. Yeah, but I'm also petrified of them. Be- okay. Because they're stronger than me, they're funnier than me, they're more quick-witted than me. I think you need a little bit of fear in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, and these two, I mean, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart herself came off a film called The Apple. I don't know if you know the film called The Apple. A no. terrible musical um. where she was the, the main star. Uh, she went straight into this and just, just absolutely dominated my life for the last 20 years just based on this performance. It's incredible um and the, the main thing about this uh night of the comet is the fact uh there's a comet that passes earth and it's Hades comet because it's 1984 i think Hades comet was due to pass or it had just passed so it was all in the news um and this comet um induces everyone in the entire world to go outside and to watch it pass over the night sky and you have special glasses you put on so you can you can see it with awe and uh, unfortunately for the human race this comet, Haley's Comet, uh, disintegrates everyone into a pile of red dust. Luckily, our two protagonists are protected um, and survive. And the way they're protected is Catherine Mary Stewart falls asleep after having sex in a lead-lined cinema room. 
um, I think it's the projection room in the cinema mm. um, on Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, and her sister, Kelly Maroney, had a similar experience with a guy and ended up sleeping in a, in a shed, a lead-lined shed. See, I, I quite like that setup because usually in horror films, it's if you have sex, it's bad and you're going to die. Yeah. Whereas this is kind of the opposite. It is. It you saved have sex, you. You survive. Yeah. Um, but too bad on her boy. Her boyfriend uh, took a little walk outside in the morning yeah. and got um, killed by a zombie, basically. So that's what's happened to everyone else. Uh, they turned into zombies. Now, some people out there know that um, I currently have a film out. I, I do film stuff, uh, and that's called Dawn of the Death. Dawn of the Death, um, and there's a very similar vibe to uh, Night of the Comet. I was going to say, this is, uh, I'm guessing this has massively influenced your work, Massively. Literally everything I've ever written is, is like a <laughs> spin-off of what happens next in Night of the Comet. But in my film, it's deaf people rather than uh, two valley girls. It's just, the film is just about following the adventures of these two valley girls as they try to survive. Um, and what's the, what's the first thing you would do if, you know, there's no one else on Earth, maybe a bunch of zombies, what was the first thing you would do? I would probably go and try and find a safe place to hide. This isn't what they do. Okay. They go to the mall and they steal stuff. Obviously. They go shopping to the soundtrack. And the soundtrack is one of the best things about this. To uh, Girls just want to have fun. They dance around this mall, trying on all the dresses. And being um, a red-blooded male, for some reason, this is great. Okay. This is great. Um and uh yeah and but i mean the whole thing's surrounded they're, they're surrounded by zombies there are zombies everywhere but don't let that get in the way of a, of a good shopping haul no of course not um and there's also um on, the, the best thing about the main character uh, Catherine mary stewart um she is an arcade maniac she loves uh, arcades and in fact where she works in the cinema again another plus point um being a girl who works in cinema she uh, plays uh, the arcade game um tempest and she's having a bit of a hard time because she can't get the high score. She's like, she's got second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But someone called DMH has got the high score. But um, presumably that person's now dead. You, I mean, this is this is the thing. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it, but this is the thing. This is a very small subplot which pays off later on in the film. Have you seen Night of the Comet? I watched Daniel? it with you. Oh, you have watched yes, it with me? Yes, you, oh. sh- you showed it to me. This is no surprise because um, I show it to everyone. But I don't remember a lot of it. Okay, this is a bit like a Smekhead podcast. Yes, basically. <laughs> you don't remember <laughs> something we just watched. Um, but this is something, and my friends out there will attest to, I force a lot of people to watch this. Is this the kind of film that you would pull out on a third date? First date. First date. Because this is how okay. you, you test This is how that... you like sort the wheat from the chaff. Exactly. Okay. Um, so you need, if they don't like this, then what's the point? Because this is coming out almost every day. So this is a Netflix and chill film then? Yeah, but I mean, I can't chill. This Without ne- chill. Yeah, more like kill. Netflix and kill. Okay. Um, and there's many reasons why this is my favourite film of all time. It's currently showing on uh, on Netflix, Netflix UK, and I guess it's on Netflix um, America and all the other ones. Um, but I think it's found a new lease of life because it's been on Netflix recently. I mean, still, a lot of people don't really know it, but um, it is a, a, a massive classic if you go into the horror blogs or sci-fi blogs. It has all the elements of... Um, one of some of the greatest um, 80s sci-fi horrors. But the thing that elevates it above all the all the, the crap that's out there is just the witty one-liners, all the kind of comebacks from the sisters. Uh, it's just brilliantly written by Tom Eberhardt. I mean, I'm not too sure what else he's done. Well, I know he's done Chopping Mall. But, um, well, you're definitely making me want to revisit it because I don't remember a lot about when we watched it. It might have been late at night. I might have dozed off. But Yeah, but yeah. then, then it might in, in, induce dreams of, of this wonderful world where where girls just want to have, have fun. fun. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's basically my first pick. And I and this is also my top pick. And we might as well not do any more shows. Yeah, because I was going to say, isn't that your favourite film? Yeah, this is my <laughs> favourite film of all time. And it's currently on Netflix. And when it arrived on Netflix, even though I've got it on very, every single format you can think of, multiple VHS copies, Japanese, VHS copies I still watch it on Netflix all the time because yeah. it's just it just it's just comfort and I must stress that the soundtrack is incredible yeah I and remember the soundtrack being really yeah. good and I mean it's, I, I'm a little bit biased because I am releasing the soundtrack on Postport Records um, <laughs> shortly when I do a mini show um, and if you're still around Daniela what, at some what's point what's the mini show um, the mini shows are basically uh, I watch some of the, your recommendations and then I ah, I give my kind of feelings okay. upon the guest recommendations. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and maybe I'll call you or if you're around, you can come in and then we can uh, discuss what you think of my choices. Okay. And what I want to hear also is, uh, guys out there, if you've never seen Night of the Comet, 
get in touch with me on Twitter at Jed Shepherd and let me know what you think and I'll read out the best ones, the best tweets, because I can't bother to make an email address. I'll read out the best tweets or DMs um, about what you think uh, of these recommendations. So at Jed Shepherd, J-E-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. That's my first major pick, Daniel, Night of the Comet by Tom It's a good one. It's a solid pick. What's your first pick? It's about to get a whole lot better, though. Daniel, don't do this. My pick is the amazing 2004 film. It's a crime. It's a horror. It's a mystery. It's Mindhunters. Mindhunters? Mindhunters. Go for it. I'm not sure I know this. I don't think a lot of people do. Okay. Um, Yeah, so one night, well, actually, I think one afternoon, I was just browsing Netflix, and I came across this film, and it had, you know, thriller in the title so I was like mm, kind of interesting okay. crime yep there's the two things I love I'm in yeah LL Cool J right sold sold, sold. Okay. so I put this film on didn't really know what to expect and came across the best worst movie of all time wow that, yeah. that's, 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 you're making big noise yes yeah <laughs> yeah I've I, and I've got I've got evidence to back this up you're saying it's the best worst movie of all time absolutely you're sitting here with the producer yep. of Birdemic 2 and you're saying yes. Mindhunter's is the best bad, yes, so bad it's good film of yes. all time. Okay, okay. So the setup is is a, g- a group of trainee FBI profilers. Great start. Yeah, and they're about to take their final test okay. before they find out whether they're going to make it or not. Okay. Val Kilmer is their boss. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I'm he's going to assess them over a weekend to find out whether they're going to pass. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yep. So basically. He takes them all on a chopper to a remote island just about there before they're going to get on the chopper. LL Cool J turns up. Okay. Who's a policeman that's going to investigate because there's been some complaints about this uh, this team, this department. This is a great setup. Yeah. So they are all left on the island. Yeah. They have 48 hours. They have all this high-tech equipment that's been installed. Okay. This island is run, I think, by the, the Navy or the Army. Right. Usually, but they've all shipped out. Okay. And there's lots of mannequins and creepy shots. Why is the mannequins? Is this, is this so to test them? It's basically it's just set up like some creepy '60s starter home okay. kind of place. So there's yep. all these mannequins around, pretend to be people. So um, the task. So Valkyrie goes, and and the task begins. So right. these these group of people all have their own baggage, and LL <laughs> Cool J, who is a stranger and they're suspicious of. Okay. They have to solve the crime, but first of all, they have to find the crime. Is the crime real, or is it a staged crime? Well, there is a staged crime. Okay. But before long, a real crime happens. Right. And one by one, the teams start to be picked off. So, why is it called Mind Hunters? Because they are using their mind to hunt the criminal. Oh, so it's not like a psychic thing. No. It's just yeah. Okay, but this sounds good. Yes. I mean, as soon as you said Val Kilmer is the yes. boss, I'm in. There are a lot of, I mean, are you a fan of like Final Destination style deaths? Of course, yeah. Yes. Well, there are a lot of those really elaborate deaths. No one just gets, you know, poisoned or yeah. stabbed, you know. There, there's a lot of thought to go into how they're picked off one by one. Nice. Like, like um, yeah, so there's multiple things that happen, like a domino falls on this and the ball travels along. Yes, have you seen it? No, but that's... That's just... one of the deaths! What? That's <laughs> one of the deaths! That's legitimately... I'm so excited. That the first death involves dominoes. What? Yes. I just picked that out of thin air. <laughs> this what? is why this is the greatest, worst film. The, the wildest way for someone <laughs> to die. A domino falls down. Yes, that what? actually happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I feel like I wrote this film somehow like when yes. I was concussed. Um, okay, and so that, that sounds that sounds great. And who directed it? I am no no one famous. Just um, Rennie Harlan. Oh, Rennie Harlan. Okay, do you know well, Rennie yeah, Harlan? Well, it has three writers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> aside of a quality film. Wow. And it stars. Uh, Val Kilmer yeah. and Ella Okuje, who I've already mentioned. Yeah, I'm in. Christian Slater. Oh, man. Now I'm definitely yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> and Johnny Lee Miller. That's a great cast. It's like, an no awesome all-star cast. In a non-ironic way, that yes. is a great cast. It is a great cast. Mindhunters, and that's on Netflix right it now. It is on Netflix right now, yeah. Go home and watch it tonight. Yeah, that's so good. I don't want to tell you any more because I don't want to give don't away because 
the, the part of the fun of watching a film is trying to guess at each stage who m- the killer might be or well, killer killer or killers. Well, just and there's a lot of um, sort of uh, what's what's the word uh, red misleading herrings? Yeah. red herrings. Yeah, there's a lot of red herrings. Well, the fact Christian Slater's in it makes me believe it's Christian Slater. Okay, because he is uh, poor man's. Um, um, Jack Nicholson. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say any more. Absolutely great choice there, Dan. Yeah, that yeah. Really, so really I, hope, I hope that's uh, made you want to watch it. You know, Domino Death and Elwa Cool J. <laughs> um, okay, on to my second pick okay. uh, of the show. My second pick, I mean, I guess this is almost like a Jed by Numbers uh, show because I'm picking some of my favourite films. Uh, the next film is Waxwork 2 Lost in Time. And I think this okay. is on Amazon Prime right now. Amazon Instant, whatever it's called. Okay. Uh, along with um, Waxwork the first waxwork film the first waxwork film was about um a uh patrick mcgee or patrick mcgowan one of the patricks owning a uh, waxwork museum that comes to life was that the one with paris hilton in it no that's uh that's just called uh, house of wax oh, okay yeah. which i quite like as well yeah i'm not recommending that so that was the first waxwork waxworks 2 starts off with uh, after the events of waxworks 1 where the waxwork museum burns down uh, let me set the scene. So Zach Galligan, who is from Gremlins, the guy from Gremlins, yep. he his um, girlfriend has been accused of killing a bunch of people. And the only way, and she's, she's in prison, the only way he can prove that she didn't kill these people if he goes, is if he goes back in time and proves, time tr- uh, and proves the dead can be brought back to life. Okay, so the crime that she committed in, was that the the Waxwork 1 film? Basically, yeah. Okay. Uh, where they came to life and killed a bunch of people. Okay, and um, they're blaming her for it. Basically blaming okay. her. And he has to prove that uh, the dead can be reanimated back to life um, in order to uh, exonerate his girlfriend. So obviously he goes back in time. And he, he, he not only goes back in time, he goes back in time into various different um, film franchises. So it, just, it doesn't just go back to like Victorian Britain. He goes back to Jack the Ripper, like a Jack the Ripper film. Okay. And he sees Jack the Ripper like committing his okay. crimes and stuff. And then he also <laughs> goes back to uh, Godzilla and he's chased by Godzilla. Wow. Zach Galligan, the kid from the Gremlins, is being chased by Godzilla. This sounds like some weird Bill and Ted waxwork mashup. It kind of, it kind yeah. of is that film. Uh, but there's um, and another thing that happens is he uh, goes back to um, like uh, a Dawn of the Dead style uh, film where there are zombies, and he goes uh, to a ship that's the ship from Aliens, the Nostromo from Aliens, and he has to is being chased by aliens. A bit like Red Dwarf, really. He's chased by um, the alien from Aliens, and then he goes to this Hitchcock style horror house where where Bruce Campbell's there uh, and his rib cage exposed. And the actual Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell's there. Okay. Yeah. And Marina Sirtis from Star Trek. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a funny film. It's okay. a real funny so film. So it's supposed to be a comedy as well as a it's horror? It's basically a weird mashup of comedy, drama, horror, and multiple cameos. Okay. Um, it's so, so much good stuff about it. And they also go into um, the uh, Phantom of the Opera film. <gasps> I um, love that film. And someone's there playing um, Sarah Brightman. Okay. Uh, of the opera. okay, this sounds amazing. I it, want to go home and watch this this yeah, evening. It is amazing. It's, it's a real hard sell because how do you kind of like, the concept is just really, really bizarre. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so he goes back to multiple, he, go, he, he kind of like goes to multiple uh, different film franchises. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Haunting, Frankenstein, um, with Martin Kemp there as Dr. Frankenstein. Um, and because obviously, uh, Dr. Frankenstein um, reanimated... Uh, dead flesh he's obviously there because that's a way to prove that the dead can rise to to life okay I won't tell you the ending no don't uh, spoil it but yeah in the the credits there is a rap scene which this is the reason why I uh, love this film so much I love a film that has a rap scene at the end yeah and it's not not I remember your boyfriend uh, Nick put on Twitter asked if any other films had songs at the end where where the cast sings yeah because Dragnet because Dragnet Dragon does, yeah. rap, yeah. Um, and in the, and, and in this uh, film, there's a rap at the end where all the cast essentially rap the plot of the film um, in in the worst way possible. And if you think this film came out in 1992, rap was it was the early days of like commercial rap. Yeah, I mean, obviously it'd been around. It for wasn't a while. very mainstream. It wasn't at very that mainstream. Point, yeah. But they took a chance. Yeah, and, and it paid off. It's a beautiful mess. It really, okay. really is. Okay. Um, 
It's uh, a YouTube it. Yeah, I really should. Um, so I would recommend watching this film even over the original because the original's good. It's got, it's got werewolves. Do and you stuff need in it. to watch the first one to understand the plot of the second one? Are you not going to no. under- understand the plot regardless? You will. You will not understand the plot regardless. Okay. It's, it's fine. It's just. Okay. It's, a, it's just random scenes of of carnage and brilliance directed by Anthony Hickox. Uh, and luckily, a little bit later in the show, we will hear from Zach Galligan <gasps> talking about this very film with me uh, amongst um, some of his other choices. So mental. This Brilliant. podcast is crazy. Yeah. So Zach Gallagher from the Gremlins will be talking to me a bit later about my choice, um, uh, Waxworks Two: Lost in Time, and also will be telling us some of his choices of what to watch on Netflix. So that was Waxworks Two: Lost in Time. Daniela, what's your second choice? So my second choice is the Scream TV series. I've never seen this. Okay. I mean, well, I love the films. Obviously. I am a massive. Um, Scream fan I love the films yeah um, when the Scream TV series was announced I think there was a lot of negativity around it yeah um, which is which is fair because you know that the films are so good and when and you just when, think why when TV series happen they're usually not as good and then it came out that they had they they were going to use a different mask and yeah I'm not a fan of that yeah but I thought I'd give it a go and actually if you don't think of it in terms of the film, because it doesn't carry on the story. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a prequel, nothing. It's its own story in its own right. Is it like meta? No. Oh, okay. So so the films the films don't exist in the Scream no, TV series? Right? No, okay. nothing, nothing like that. It has its own story. And I think if you separate it, which I, I think I've ma- managed to do, because I, I really enjoy it. I, yeah. I can appreciate it in its own right. Mm-hmm. So it's had two series, series now, and they are going to do a third, Okay. Which I'm glad at because um, what I really liked about it is that it wasn't afraid to kill off its main characters. Spoilers, Daniela, but okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which um, not not many TV shows do, that's but true. I guess that's quite important when you've got a, you know a murderer on the loose. That's great, yeah. So and the consequences and at least. Two as well. Um, they do manage to wrap things up at the end of the series, but also they they drop a major clangor and leave you wanting for more. Okay. Um, one thing I like about it is the storyline. So we've got, um, I won't go into too many details, Okay. but, uh, something happens and there are a couple of deaths that start happening at the school that these, these is group still of in kids Woodsboro, are. Like Woodsboro High School? No, right? no, it's a completely Woodsboro. different place. Okay. And then we find out that many, many years before there was a... Um, mentally disturbed boy at school that went mm-hmm. on a killing rampage. Okay, like a classic so, slasher film. Yeah, like so nice. we're kind of trying to, we're looping back between the two stories when we kind of think something might be linked. And so every okay. episode we're getting a little bit more of the history, a little bit more of the background. So it's not just a kind of a, a campy, no. kind of beautiful teens getting No, they, them. I mean, there are, there are beautiful teens, but I feel okay. like they've put some thought into the story. You had me at there are beautiful teens. We'll okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, lesbian teens as well. Okay, Is that, yeah. no, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like they've, they've put a lot of effort into the story because they're linking it back to some, some terrible event that happened 30 years ago on prom night. And oh, I mean, that's a classic classic you horror can't setup, go wrong which is good and uh the 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 guy that committed the murders he drowned in the the water but never found his body so you're kind of like always okay, thinking so, yeah. what actually happened because you don't you don't get the full story of what happened that night right at the beginning it's sort of revealed in different stages nice. so it kept me interested so it seems like they've taken like a, a bunch of kind of like tropes from from big horror films um, yeah, and, and kind of mushed it into the TV series. Yeah, and I mean, Wes Craven was an executive producer on this. Yeah, um, I think it was the last things he did before he died. One of the very last things yes. he did before he died yes. was uh, add me on Twitter. I was, okay, I was one of the few people. Aww. I was one of the forty people he had on Twitter. They followed before he died, and then his people added a bunch more. But Aww. yeah, okay. But, but anyway, so um. I really liked the first series and I thought I'd give the second one a go and I like the second series even more. So is this, uh, so are you saying uh, what we should watch is the second series of Scream no. or just Scream in general? No, I think you should watch Scream in general because the second series picks off from the first one but it ramps it up a bit. Okay. 
it's a very good choice because I've always kind of like shied away from from watching. Yeah, I think a lot of people have because um, it's, it's, sho- it's it, I think it's shown on MTV. Yeah. So it's not not a lot of people probably watching it. Okay. Um, but uh, I I used to try and catch it on YouTube until Netflix picks it up, and then I watched it on Netflix because oh, nice. okay. it was great uh, to be able to watch it on that. But I remember the final episode of um, series two was screening when I was on holiday and I was in America at the time and desperately trying to be able to watch it because only on the UK Netflix was the typical because I didn't want to hear any spoilers about it. But yeah, no, it's I, I really like it. So. It's great that you're into the screen TV. I never knew you were into it. Yeah. It seems like you're really into it as well. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I, re- I really like it and I can't wait for uh, series three. Okay, great. Well, thanks very much. I, it might be the last series, but uh, okay. yeah. Do you know what? I, I'll 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 watch the first few episodes and, I, and I'll update everyone on the mini episode. Please I'll, do. I'll you know yeah. How you do? Okay. Uh, so on to my final choice before we hear from Zach Gallagher uh, from Gremlins, among, amongst other things. Um, a little bit more serious now. We'll get onto a documentary that I watched. I recently. love a documentary. Yeah. So there's this documentary. Uh, it was made a couple of years ago, um, and it's currently on. Uh, Netflix. It's called Who Took Johnny? Um, and this isn't a great story. It's a really sad story. Uh, basically, Johnny was a boy that was abducted um, like 30 odd years ago. Um, and he was the first person to be put onto um, a milk carton in in America. Wow, okay. So that's where the idea came from. Well, how people. did they come up with the idea of doing that? I think it must just have been, been uh, like the dairy company in, in, the, okay. in, the, in their town okay. just decided to do it. Um, but it's one of those documentaries it's not just informative it's shocking as well because really? you get the facts and the way they deliver the facts um they kind of like like spoon feed spoon it to you. you so they're not giving you too much at once okay and just when you think it's going one way like okay this boy's sad and they're gonna find his body and then a few things happen where you think holy moly i cannot believe that this is a real thing that's happened okay um, so lots of twists lots and lots of okay. for a real life story there's yeah so many twists and there's one point where I, I was i couldn't believe that this was real and i had to like go on wikipedia to make sure that they just didn't, didn't make this up um this sounds amazing this is on netflix it's on netflix okay. it's called who took johnny okay and um it's it's in, absolutely incredible it's, it's quite a, a, a quick watch it's only like 80 minutes long um, but it's uh, one of the best crime documentaries I- I've seen. And I watch tons of okay, crime documentaries. Okay, I'm definitely watching this tonight. Um, one of the things I need to point out um, uh, that's interesting about it is um, a few years after he was taken, a guy came forward and said that he helped to abduct him. People paid him to abduct Johnny. And uh, because he was a kind of a crazy man, they thought all of the things he said were, were, were crazy. Um but then it's and all, but it slowly starts to be revealed that the crazy stuff that this guy said are all true, and he says some real crazy stuff. Is this he, in the documentary? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's it's amazing the stuff. It's like it's like a um you you pulling on a string, and eventually you keep pulling, and you just find okay find something in, incredible. It's okay. it's real weird. It's surreal. Um, it's crazy. It's it's a real weird documentary, but one also one of the best. Um, paced and, and directed documentaries i've ever seen especially about crime um and yeah and that's called who took johnny and that's my third and last pick um for something to watch on netflix what's your third pick daniela i kind of don't want to follow that now <laughs> yeah. like, like, who took johnny sounds amazing like nothing's gonna beat that well i don't know because i think i know what your next choice uh, is. well yeah it's gonna come pretty darn close <laughs> okay okay so my third pick is the film white chick oh Christ. also from 2004 the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this, okay he took johnny from, from 2014 so this so your thing was both my, my first one was 2004 oh, okay. i'm sorry okay. yeah mine hunters 2004 okay. white, 2004 was the golden year it was a for, great uh, it was a banner year for, for the daniela films, phillips yeah um yeah when i first watched white chicks white it was chicks. i know I, I did don't worry i didn't go see it at the cinema i kind of laughed it okay. off and thought this looks terrible and then i can't remember the first time i watched it but it was kind of a sort of like i've got nothing else to watch let's just put it on in the background was it on channel five by any chance it probably was on channel okay. five channel four something like that icv2 yeah um yeah and absolutely loved it and I've seen it so many times since. Can you give me an? Can you remind okay. me what, what what the concept? So is? the premise is it's the uh, the the <laughs> the Wayland, Wayland, Wayans, yeah. Yeah, Wayan brothers. 
So they're they're cops. Of course. Um, they mess up, but they're given a task to go and pick up these heiresses. So these okay. are these are the fake Hiltons. Okay. Right, so they're right. supposed to be Paris Hilton, and even the. Do you remember the the pop song that was released, Miss Hilton? Da, 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 da. No, I don't know this. So basically, there was a pop song <laughs> that I can't remember the band who released it, but okay. about Paris Hilton and Nicky Hilton, right. and they wanted to use it for the film, but. For copyrights, I'm guessing they didn't. So they made up their yeah. own version. Okay. Talking about the, uh, I can't remember, Miss Wilson. I think it's w- the Wilsons. Okay, they're called the Wilson Or some, something like that, yeah. Okay. Uh, so they go and pick them up. And unfortunately, they're involved in a minor traffic accident. And one of them gets marked on her face. Okay. So, you know, being stuck up um, rich girls, they can't show themselves in public. Right. So the Wayans um, decide to take their place to flush <laughs> out somebody who wants to kill them, basically. Okay, but they can't take the place because obviously these are two little white White girls. And they're and two they're black two, men. Two big well, black you guys. would think that, but so thanks, happens, thanks to lots of prosthetics, they turn into the heiresses, the Gross. white chicks. Now, I, I, I have seen this film, but okay. I can remember nothing from it. Right. So there are a lot of standout moments in the film. Uh, yeah. One, Terry Crews is in it. Okay. Doing uh, an amazing great. turn. Okay. Amazing turn. He falls in love with one of the white chicks. Okay. Um, with lots of hilarious consequences. Um, there is an attempted robbery okay. where they chase chase after the guy and say the immortal line, it's not just a handbag, it's Prada. <laughs> oh, God. And or then possibly the best scene in any entire film, um, there's a dance-off. I'm into dance-offs. Anything okay. with dancing in so the film. So they're yeah. watching by the sidelines. They see their friends getting trashed in the dance off by these not very nice girls and they okay. decide to step in put on some rum dmc it's tricky and wow. do some amazing amazing move at these moves of these white chicks winning the dance off hang on they, they, they could afford to use it's tricky by run dmc but they couldn't afford to have that paris hilton song. yeah well maybe they couldn't afford to have them re-record it with miss wilson or whatever it is okay right okay so the, yeah they got some other band i think to do a up. or maybe it is the other but same band but it's just not as good quality yeah. i don't know so and so so they look exactly you look like really confused right now Jen. yeah so what, so so when they in this makeup this process yes. do they look like the no twins? no they look like two big black men wearing prosthetics and then painted white yes wow um it's amazing i there's lots of like comedy moments um they've got uh, one of them's married and is trying to you know juggle being a white chick with uh <laughs> putting comfort in his suspicious wife uh another okay. one's trying to date a girl that he just met um and shake off Terry Crews, oh, you know. This so is, this is, does, is, does, do they get closer to their like wives and girlfriends because they they know how it feels like to be a woman now? Is that the end? Um, I wouldn't. No, I don't think okay. so. So no. do they learn anything from this no, experience? I think they 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 sort of stay friends with the girls that they met, and I think okay. they learn not to judge the Hampton set. And okay, yeah, they've got some new they've still got some new girlfriends as a result. Not like sexual girlfriends but female friends okay excellent um, yeah we but all hope to do i that. find it really funny the dance scene is amazing if you if you don't want to watch this film just youtube the dance off because okay. it's brilliant <laughs> okay so now i'm forced to watch this for the for the mini episode i think so you should i will let you guys uh, know what i think uh, of those films um well, thank you very much for joining me, Daniela. Thanks for having me as a guest. No problem. Thank um, you. On uh, what to watch on Netflix. Um, if you want to hear more from Daniela, check out the Smegheads podcast, where she is my co-host. Uh, or you can find her on Twitter at... Daniela with one L Phillips. And on Instagram... Daniela Monica Phillips. That's right. Um, now, thank you very much for listening to this episode, guys. Um, I'm going to pass you over to myself, who's interviewing Zach Galligan from The Gremlins um, about films that he likes, um, films that I like. Um, but specifically, we talk a lot about what I think should be in Gremlins 3. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Kind of apt that um, you are coming to present in London um, an underseen and underrated gem um, that you 
be starring. Um, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Nothing Lasts Forever? Well, that's kind of a difficult thing to do because one of the things about the film is it's pretty, it's pretty indescribable. You kind of have to see it um, to kind of grasp what it is. I suppose if you took a kind of an overview of it, it's director Tom Schiller's autobiography that's completely coded and disguised um, so that certain things stand in for other things. Okay. <laughs> and unless you really know about his life, the film seems like incoherent. It's almost like, like in other words, it's, it's a disguised version of his autobiography mixed with a total love letter to cinema. I, I, it's shot in black and white and color. Yep. It's supposed to look like a lost movie from the MGM vaults in 1947, okay. late 40s. Um, it mixes live. It mixes um, footage shot in 1982 when we made the movie with stock footage from the 20s and 30s and 40s. Nice. Hopelessly, hopefully seamlessly. And it tells a young man's artists, a young man who wants to be an artist, and it tells of his journey to New York City and his desire to become it, kind of like Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, except it's intensely weird. It's kind of surreal. It's sort of like uh, Howard Hawks meets Federico Fellini. Awesome. Um, it has a tremendously diverse cast of people from the 30s and 40s and 50s and today. At, or at the time it was today, like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, but it also has Imogene Coca and Mort Saul and Eddie Fisher and the late great Sam Jaffe from Gunga Din in his last movie. So it has this insane cast. It looks incredible. Um, I watched the trailer. Uh, and like you said, it it kind of looks incoherent. If, if if you were just kind of viewing it over someone's shoulder, you wouldn't kind of understand what was going on. But I could see there was enough in there to make me interested and to make me want to see to see more, especially with the kind of mix of stock footage and actual film film stuff. Um, what? How? How did you get involved with the film in the first place? Obviously, you'd filmed well, actually, Gremlins first. The, no, actually, we did this first. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So this was my film debut. Wow. Okay. And you can tell because uh, you can tell because I'm I, I, even though I look young in Gremlins, I look even absurdly younger in this movie. Do, I mean, it's just um, I'm I'm I just turned 18, but I probably look about 15. So I really look like a like a, a you know, I mean, I could barely shave. I was just a, I was a kid. I actually did it as my senior project in high school. I was a, I was a high school senior. But anyway, the, the short version is this. Mm -hmm. I had a normal audition. I met with Tom Schiller. We got along pretty well. That was in February of 82. And then the project vanished. Then I read about it in March. They were doing, uh, in, in, there was, a, <laughs> there was a, uh, a magazine. It still might be uh, around in New York. It was called Backstage, and that's because there was no internet. That's where you would you would read, like in the classified ads, yep. you'd find out about auditions. And someone pointed out to me in Backstage this big ad for an open call for this movie called Nothing Lasts Forever. And my friend was like, didn't you try out for that a month ago? I was like, yeah. And they were seeing hundreds of people for my role, and I was like, oh, well, guess it didn't work out, and guess it's not going to happen. And then a month after that, I guess the open call didn't didn't produce anything good either because they went back to the drawing board and they called me back in. And I had this long, kind of torturous 45 to an hour long minute audition with Tom Schiller where he had me do all sorts of things like pretend to mimic a piano and sing, like sing songs and read all of these different scenes that he had just rewritten and written and all of this stuff like that. But what made you think you, and, could, you, you could do this? Did you go to drama school beforehand or did you, or did you just have a, an inkling that you were like set for stardom? Well, what had happened was I had done um, a lot of plays and musicals in my summer camp and my high school. And even though there wasn't that much competition, nevertheless, I'd still basically gotten the lead in almost every single thing. Bit of a baller at a young age. Already... Yeah, I was pretty much. I was kind of dominating 
most of the stuff that I went up for. Right. And then if that wasn't enough, I had professional casting directors coming into my school, yeah. seeing me and having me try out for actual feature films like Taps with Timothy Hutton and George C. Scott, Over the Edge, which you would recall as being Matt Dillon, Vincent Spano's yeah. movie debut that's directed by Tim Hunter. So I tried out for all of those movies. So not only was I booking everything, but casting directors were coming and having me try out for actual Hollywood productions, which led me to believe that I didn't stink. And uh, so you met up with uh, Tom Schiller and how did he pitch the, the role to you when you, uh, when you auditioned? How, how, how did you, when he tried to explain what the film was about, did you care or did you, or did you just want some work? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was such an idealist at the time. I mean, when you're 18, you have to really kind of go back to when you were, you know, 18 years old. You're a kid. Yeah. The world is almost a brand new thing to you. And adults are these giant creatures that are so much more sophisticated and ahead of you. And they understand things and see the world in ways that you can't comprehend. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I still feel like that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, I, I, my, my attitude was, tell me everything. Tell me your vision. How can I facilitate you and make your dream of this film come to life by, you know, and I was actually, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the middle of Nowheresville, America. I grew up in Manhattan, mm -hmm. you know, reading the New York Times every day since I was nine years old. I was probably more sophisticated than someone who grew up in, you know, a small town in Indiana, like, you know, you see in Stranger Things. Yeah. I wasn't those kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll come back on to so, why you aren't in Stranger Things, because I think you should be. It would make sense. Uh, I, I so watched Stranger Things and I'm like, I'm, I'm stunned no one contacted me. It would seem like the Duffer brothers would want to put me in that immediately. Oh, of course. I think if they were aware that you wanted to be in it, you'd be in season two already. Maybe you might have to wait till season three because they've already cast... Uh, season two but yeah you'd be perfect yeah. as, like someone's dad or some kind of shifty yeah. guy working in for that um, organization you know what's funny is that i looked for them on twitter and i didn't find them so i was like well because if they were on twitter i was about to say you i were literally going to send them a message going i love the series anything you want me to do in the next one i'd be happy to do like <laughs> offer my services because yeah. you'd be surprised how effective that works sometimes. oh of course yeah and obviously um it's a love letter to the 80s so um, Gremlins would be perfect. It'd be great if in season three uh, the kids discovered a, a mogwai and needed someone to uh, show them what to do with it. Or something similar to a mogwai. I'm not sure uh, Warner Brothers would be too enthused yeah. with Stranger Things impinging on their trademark considering that Warner Brothers almost put Hasbro toys out of business for using the Furby. Of course, yeah. Why did this film go missing? Because, it, I mean, it had the pedigree, it had the, the stars. Why didn't this film kind of get released, well, properly? What happened? Well, there? I think there's probably two or three key reasons. One is they had a built-in excuse, okay, for not to, to not push it, which is it's strange, it's an art house movie, we don't know how to market it. Yeah, That's reason number one. Reason number two, there was a studio politics reason, which is that the head of the studio, you know, uh, championed this project. And after we finished it and it was being cut and put together, he got fired and replaced somebody new. So the new person was like, I, why would I want this old person? My, you know, the person who, you know, my, uh, what I'm blanking. What do you call the person who was in the position before you? Uh, former... Predecessor, predecessor. predecessor. I, don't, I don't want my predecessor's projects to be successful. How's that going to benefit me? And then the third reason is that like a lot of um, students, well, actually, this is even a better reason. There were big rights problems where it, with, this, with the footage where it would have cost them extra additional million dollars to pay for a lot of the stock footage. Okay, right. I, of course, always thought, well, why don't you just tell Tom to go back and use, you know, stock footage that's in the public domain yep. rather than using stuff from birth of a nation and intolerance and wow. sunrise, okay. <laughs> whatever else is in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there were a lot of built in reasons for people to simply walk away from it. And then they kind of, I really felt MGM kind of sabotaged it because 
in the summer of 84, a good two years after we shot the movie and it sat on the shelf and people were like, what are we going to do about this thing? They had one test screening of it in Seattle. Okay. okay. After Gremlins and Ghostbusters came out the same day and were huge hits. And now they were like, we have the guy from Gremlins and we have Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd from Ghostbusters. It's exactly like those movies. <laughs> and everyone went to see it and it was like this, you know, it was like, you know, telling, telling people who liked Captain America's Civil War to go enjoy La Dolce Vita. <laughs> and the kids went to see it and they were like, what the hell is this? Okay. It's insane. It's a hard sell. And they marketed it to the complete wrong crowd. And everybody who went to see it, who was probably 16, hated it. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, okay, well, since it costs extra money for the rights and it used to belong to this other, my predecessor, uh, you know, screw it. And so what they decided to take it as what's called a tax loss. And without getting too arcane, what that means is you're not allowed to make any form of profit on it whatsoever. Yeah, I'm aware of the concepts. Yeah. So it literally sat on the, sat on the shelf for decades, mm -hmm. despite being a good, interesting, bizarre, misunderstood film. Now is the time that people will go, oh, I get it. Irony. And and a love letter to cinema and surrealism and it's all tongue in cheek and look how clever it is. Oh, there's an extra from Fellini. Oh, it's so clever. Whereas in 1982, people were basically just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what, what you need to do is make a poster and just put Bill Murray on it and, it and people will go and watch it no matter what it is. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about it is the whole Bill Murray involvement because I think to a certain extent, he has kind of some guilt about this project because okay. he really liked it at the time, but it was so strange. I don't think he really wanted to put his full weight behind it. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. Now he's this massive American, which you can only describe as he's like this American comedy icon. Yeah. He, he literally will be, I think he'll be remembered, you know, in the same way that Lucille Ball's now remembered. Yeah, I really do. 100%. I mean, not just a comedy icon, I think an icon in general for humanity. In these dark times, we need someone like Bill Murray to uh, kind of uh, give us some levity. Yeah, he's like someone who, 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 who doesn't take himself too seriously, doesn't seem to hate anybody, yeah. um, seems to be jocular and bizarre and abs an absurdist. And very like, you know, he's like, um, he's a party waiting to happen, even though he's 70 something. Exactly. And he doesn't have a manager, does he? He, he just has a voicemail where you leave him messages if you want to, uh, if you want him in your film. You know, I, I mean, I have so many anecdotes about Murray and I've told most of them, but okay, one of them that's so funny is that, that his best friends, you know, like Schiller is a really good friend of his, his close friends have a difficult time getting in touch with him. Yeah. Can imagine it's how elusive he's an elusive guy he values his privacy he clearly at times wants to go off for days or weeks at a time and not have contact with his close friends and to do his own thing and he, he clear it's clear to me and he may be very very i mean I, I may be reading into this this may be guesswork on my part mm -hmm. but it seems to me that he realizes that fame and his level of fame is something that he can only kind of experience in doses. So what he does is he'll go to a Cubs game, like in the World Series, and do the seventh inning stretch, and everyone will love him. And then he'll retreat for a month yeah. to his house and be left alone because it's too much. You can't do that stuff that he does on a daily basis. It's too draining and overwhelming. And that he realizes the kind of the toxic nature of fame, but also the incredibly fun nature of fame, which is access. Yep. Like he's like, hey, I want to go to the Cubs game during the World Series and sing the seventh inning stretch. I can do that. But what he doesn't do is make it a daily thing so that the whole fame thing wears him down and makes him embittered and, you know, a drunk drug addict. And you, you know what I mean? Like fame yeah. has a lot of dangers involved with it as well. So one thing we haven't spoke about um, is what, is the, what the film is about. Here, here's a better synopsis. Okay, okay. There's a young man, he's wandering around Europe. He wants to be an artist, but he doesn't know 
He's too young and green. He doesn't even know what his medium is. He just knows he has a lot of creativity inside him that he wants to express. So he meets a person on a train who tells him he should go back to the United States. And when he's he has a support system and he's back in his homeland, he can be stimulated to produce in a more relaxed, conducive way. So he goes back to New York and he finds that New York is actually very repressive and anti- artistic, which is kind of an interesting thing to say because people still think to these in this day and age that New York is like a, a home where artists can thrive. Yeah. Um, but my character doesn't find it true. And he actually, through random acts of kindness, stumbles across a secret race of beings who are enlightened beings, kind of almost like Krishnamurti, but maybe even more like, um, even more like, closer to Obi-Wan Kenobi okay. than any actual philosopher. And they see the goodness in Adam, which is my character's name. Okay. And without giving too much more away, they help him conspire to become the artist of his dreams by sending him on a quest. And that quest has to do with the moon. Has to like do I said, he goes to the moon. Both. Okay. It's, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it sounds amazing. And I'm really surprised I haven't seen it yet. It's the kind of film we hear about it on like film forums or film blogs and you track it down straight away. But obviously because it's so hard to kind of come by. I went to uh, one of your Gremlin screens last year. Um, uh, How was it? It was great. It was great. It's where you kind of revealed Gremlin 3, potential Gremlin 3 uh, kind of synopsis. Do you remember doing that? And then it went, like instantly. Went of on the course, internet. I remember doing it. I, I I didn't really I didn't really reveal the synopsis. I gave a suggestion for the synopsis, and I don't really feel that I revealed anything. I simply said, if you go to IMDb, yeah. you can see that it's listed in Gremlins Three, and they've picked a screenwriter. And if you know anything about big budget movies, if mm -hmm. they've picked a screenwriter, that means they're well on their way to writing ideas with an eye towards doing a third one. Yeah, and obviously you would have to be in it. Because if it was a reboot, then I could understand maybe they would try uh, some more different characters. But as it's a sequel, direct sequel, Gremlins Three, you have to be in it, or the world will go to shit. People will. Let me let me ask you a question as an out outsider, okay. and I know you're not an expert on the way Hollywood films are constructed. You'd be but surprised, but go do on. you think do you think they could get away with doing a Gremlins Three and casting another actor in my part? No, impossible. It would have to be a reboot. It'd have to be a remake, um, a la Ghostbusters, for them to get away with it. If it's called Ghostbusters 3 or it's a direct sequel, it has to have you in it. Phoebe Cates has to show up at some point. Um, either you're married or you're divorced in it or you've got kids and then it's your kids' adventures. Um, I don't know, maybe you go to Tibet and you and you kind of like try and discover how these, these gremlins came to be. Um, and... So you don't think they could cast another actor as Billy Peltzer in a Gremlins three? Impossible. And if they if they, if they do, then the film's going to fail. Are you, are you about to tell me that they have cast, they've recast you, and it's no, no, no. Oh right, okay. No, 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 no. I would. Oh, believe me, if they did that, I would probably go. I mean, I have nothing to lose. I'd probably go on Twitter and and go and just let people know. Oh, you'd be well within your rights and people would be in your side. Everyone would be in your side because it would be worse than the Ghostbusters thing. People going crazy about women being Ghostbusters. That's, fair. That's a different story. If they're doing the same story, a continuation, and you're not in it, that would be that would be criminal. Absolutely criminal. Especially, it'd be one thing if I was like, well, he's retired in painting in Oregon, but I'm not. I'm acting and I live in Atlanta. I'm an actor. I have a film coming out next year. Yeah. It's like, I'm still active. There's no reason for me not to be hired. Yeah. Uh, they may just use you as the kind of bookends, maybe the jump off point where it's you and you're telling the story about of the gremlins to your son and your, a bit like that film Big Fish where the son doesn't believe the dad about all the adventures he got up to. And then the son finally discovers it by, by discovering a, a mogwai, um, and then he doesn't listen to to the rules, etc. Um, but yeah, um, when when is it meant to be coming out? Which uh, Gremlins three? Wait, what, what? When does IMDb say it's coming out? Well, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really supply. It, it, I mean, here's the thing: just because they've hired a writer, yeah, I can tell you from what I found out about Gremlins two, mm -hmm. they went through four or five different drafts of stuff over a period of three or four years okay. before they came up with a script that they liked. 
So they hired this writer 18 months ago. Now he could have tried one draft and they didn't like it. And he could be on another completely different draft and writing it now. He could be on draft number four. They could have decided this writer tried two things. They didn't like any of them. Now they're looking at other writers. Mm -hmm. You have absolutely no idea where they are in the process. That's true. So the fact of the matter is, let's just put it this way. Let's say that right this second, and this, I have no knowledge of this. This is just a, a, a hypothesis. Yeah. Let's say right this second, as of you know, the beginning of December 2016, mm-hmm. they have a script that they love. My guess is they're still a solid nine months to a year of pre-production before they even film, yeah. and a year before it comes out. So you're looking at, I would say, a cr- summer or Christmas 2018 at the earliest. Yeah. I, I would think it would be Christmas um, if it was going to come out. When would you actually find well, out? It wouldn't be. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. I can. An- I was just about to say something, but it'll help answer your other question, which is, when did I find out about Gremlins 2? Because that's probably a better benchmark to go by. Yeah. Gremlins 2 started shooting the end of May 1989. I think it was right around like the late 20s. So it was May 26, 27, 28, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I found out almost exactly three months earlier. They were doing negotiation mid-February towards the end of February. And my guess is that it wasn't until the end of February that the deal got done. Um, So you're talking about three months before the shooting started, which if you think about it, it's pretty short notice. Very short notice. They, I mean, you could have been doing something else. You could have moved on. I was just about to say, how do they know I wasn't booked doing another film? I, I guess when Joe Dante comes a knock in, you kind of, uh, you have to say yes. Yeah, I, my feeling was that Warner Brothers was so arrogant. They were like, he's going to drop what he's doing and come do this movie because what is he, a moron? Yeah. You know, and I mean, to a certain extent, they were right. But what if I had signed some contract? Then maybe then they I would get out of it. It would start off with Phoebe Cates at, at your funeral or something, and then it would just be her. I've got and one more thing to talk about. Um, one of the recommendations um, in this particular episode that this will, will go in, uh, a recommendation of mine, um, that a film of yours that I think is very, very underseen, underappreciated, um, I guess among most people, but for the kind of diehard film fans and genre fans, this film is right up there for them. And it's a film called Waxwork 2, Lost in Time. Um, do you remember anything about Waxwork 2, Lost in Time? Because you probably don't remember anything about the, the first one. But the second one, for me, is an absolute masterpiece of genre mashing, of crazy ideas all put together into, into one thing. I like I, I showed it to someone and, and they thought I was a serial killer because it's, it's the most craziest, weirdest, messed up film like they've ever seen. Uh, but I love it dearly and without any hint of irony or I, I genuinely love, uh, if you look at my letterbox account, you can put four of your favorite films and Waxwork 2 Lost in Time is there as my second favorite film. Um, so it's ever made, ever made, ever made. I'm not joking. And it's for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, you guys can't see it. What's your favorite on camera. Movie? Um, my favorite movie is, I mean, it, it's possibly Annie Hall, but then, I mean, that's kind of obvious. I, I hate saying that out loud. What can, what can you tell me about that film? What can, can you tell me anything about it? Can you remember anything about it? Sure. I remember everything about it. First of all, um, the, I just did commentaries for it. The Blu-ray just came out that's in the United right. States on October 18th. Yep. So Tony Hickox and I just did a brilliant commentary. Well, I don't know if it's brilliant, but it was brilliant <laughs> to do it. And it was f- so funny. We were weeping with laughter. <laughs> I mean, we were cracking each other up because we were very brutally honest saying this part was crap and my performance here is shit and I'm so embarrassed about the wig that I'm wearing here. And when we were just weeping, weeping with laughter at like, you know, because it's definitely got some 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 problems. It, it's a fun yeah. movie. But it's, you know, definitely got some budgetary problems mm-hmm. and, you know, and some it's got some serious issues in it. But um, like, what was it like working with Bruce Campbell, Marina Sirtis? I mean, Bruce only was there probably two, maybe three days at the most. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a great guy. And uh, I, I really haven't seen him in person 
yeah. in probably close to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know uh, if he's changed much. He's, you know, it's, I mean, that's a lot of time to have gone by. Yeah. But all I can talk about is at the time he was a good sport. He was jovial. He was jocular. He was, you know, his, his book title, If Chins Could Kill, is really appropriate <laughs> because he, he really actually kind of looks like a cartoon character in person. He his does. Not that he's not a handsome guy, because he is, but his chin is like so Dudley Do-Right. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, but Bruce Campbell's great. Marina Sirtis was just like, uh, she had a kind of like, I'm happy to be here quality. Yeah. <laughs> Sophie Ward was great. Uh -huh. um, that's all, there. everyone's in the, in that same sequence. Sophie, Marina, Bruce, and myself were basically sort of the big four in that haunting sequence. Yeah, which is uh, my, probably my favorite sequence. I mean, again, you, you've, you've just used a lot of tropes from other movies on purpose. You've just stolen bits, big sections out of, out of movies and just smashed them together. And for me, it just it just works. It's, it's, it's silly. It's very cartoonish. You, what about the, the end, the, the rap song at the end? Well, you know, Insane. the funny thing about the rap song at the end yeah. is... At the time, it seemed like a goof. And now, actually, it seems kind of revolutionary. <laughs> because you have to realize that when we shot that in June of 19, June and July of 1991, mm -hmm. hip hop was really still a pretty underground kind of a thing. Yeah. The only thing that we had here in America that was even close to it was stuff like Young MC's Bust a Move, mm -hmm. which is like a lot more like a pop song, really, than like kind of like a rap song. Yeah. But Tony and I were both, both of us were listening to NWA and uh, Easy E at the time. And we would play the um, Straight Out of Compton album and the Easy Does It album, like at parties we'd have at people's houses, which was strange because it was like that and then the Gypsy Kings and Enigma. <laughs> so you would go Christmas. from. You'd go from Easy E to Bandalejo, Bandalejo, you know, and you'd be like, "Wow, who's DJing this thing?" Um, it's so a bit it was like the movie itself, which was a mixed bag of different genres, just 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 smooshed together. That was a musical. Task. I'm pretty sure one of the things that I said on the commentary that had Tony and I weeping with laughter was, you know, I said, "I'm going to be honest, Tony. I said the script was kind of like some of the plot devices were so kind of like." confusing and convoluted i remember being on the set saying like asking him questions about like but wait so this works how and tony would explain it to me and then i would be like hang on a second and i would i would like do the scene and i would walk back to my little dressing room or something like that and i'd think to myself i'm the lead in this movie and i don't understand it <laughs> and i'm in it i'm the lead in it and i don't get it i don't think anyone kind of gets i don't um i don't think tony hickox um kind of understands it himself if you were ever asked to do a sequel to that or, or a remake would you be interested oh yeah sure listen i mean i like to work i'm not i'm 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 not a film snob you know <laughs> like there are a lot of people who are film snobs and all they're gonna do is they're like i have to sit around and watch antonioni and uh, i need to, i need to watch Tarkovsky, all seven movies, you know, 19 times because I'm a film snob, you know, whereas, I mean, I, listen, I like Tarkovsky and Antonioni and, and Pasolini and I like all the greats and, 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 and Jodorowsky or however you pronounce his name who did El Topo. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like, I like, I love those filmmakers and I, I appreciate them too, you know, but I also like Ed Wood. And I like mm -hmm. Attack of the Crab Monsters, <laughs> and I like the Atomic Submarine, you know. And I like, and I like. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's like just batshit crazy. Um, Waxwork too. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there you go. And, and I, I like, I like Waxwork too, and I like With Nail and I, and I, I mean, I like, I, I like everything. I even like terrible stuff. There's even some terrible stuff that I'm very, you know, very, I've, I have a lot of affection for, even though it's technically not great filmmaking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. one, one of the things I'm the proudest of is in my career, and some people would be like, but, but why? You know, <clears throat> the fact that I have a listing in the Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film. I love it. I've got the it, fact yeah. that I, The fact that I've been in some of these movies where you go, what the fuck is that? <laughs> the fact that I'm in movies that people go, dude, I saw you last night. This is one of my favorite things when people go, dude, I saw you in this film last night. What the fuck was going on with that movie? 
I like being in strange, weird. I don't care how good or not good they are. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, that, that's great. I want to have a body of work where people look at it and go, dude, you worked with some amazing people in some bizarre stuff. Some of it was great. Some of it was terrible. Some of it worked. Some of it was aggressively mediocre. <laughs> but, dude, you did it. You know, I'm going to be coming chief of Birdemic Three, uh, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Well, well thanks very much for um, Zach. That, that's about it. Is, is there anything else you want you want to uh, say to the uh, listeners of uh, this podcast? Well, I suppose if you like strange and psychotronic movies, <laughs> I've got another one for you coming out for next it. year. Okay, yeah. It's called it's called The Chair. Okay, right. It's with um, Naomi Grossman, and it's the last movie that the late, great Roddy Piper ever did. It's one wow. of his actually better better performances. It kind of shows that he actually was a solid actor, yeah, I no, think. He's great. He's great. Um, uh, Noah Hathaway from The NeverEnding Story is in it. Yeah. Um, Bill Oberst Jr., who's kind of like uh, king of the – King of the sketchy, low-budget horror films, and but is a sweet guy and a terrific actor. Um, there's just all sorts of interesting people in this movie, and it is the first 45 minutes are just an all-out assault on your senses. It's a tough watch, and if you hang in there, I think it it, it does kind of reward you at the end. But it's it's one of those, and again, it's another movie where it's, it's not for everybody. It's called the chair. The chair. Okay, we'll look out for it. And when is it out, sorry? Um, I don't know because with these tiny micro-budget independent movies, yeah. you know, and the but the budgetary constraints definitely show through at times. Mm -hmm. But I think considering – let's just put it this way. Considering that we did it for literally no money in 14 days, it's yeah. kind of an amazing accomplishment. It's not an amazing accomplishment next to Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> which had months and hundreds of millions of dollars. But for a film that's budget was under a hundred grand to assemble that cast and shoot what we did in 14 days and still have it kind of make an interesting point and have an interesting message is pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. Excellent. Uh, well, thanks very much, Zach, for joining us on What to Watch on Netflix. And uh, we will speak to you soon. Thank you. Cheers.